Our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew is called Following Jesus. And we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew for over a year now. Matthew is what I call a theological biography of Jesus Christ. That is, the ultimate purpose of the Gospel of Matthew is to reveal to us who Jesus is and lead us to follow Him. The Gospel of Matthew reveals the true identity of Jesus Christ. And when you know the true identity of Jesus Christ, you're invited and drawn to trust, worship, obey, and follow Him. You become, in other words, His disciple. A year ago today, on the year we had our annual reports and vision meeting last year, the sermon title was Following Jesus. And we learned that Jesus is calling us to follow Him and to fish for Him. That is, to find and make new followers of Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now we know that that is not always easy. Last time we were together, two weeks ago, we watched how it was hard for John the Baptist to follow Jesus. He was decapitated for following Jesus. And our hide the word verse right now that we just quoted together as we were singing says that we need to be ready to follow Jesus into sacrifice. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me? He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're going to learn more about making those sacrifices as 2019 unfolds, as Jesus makes the ultimate sacrifice for us, as He takes up His cross for us. But we will keep coming back to this basic question, who is Jesus? Remember last time we said that in Matthew you always have to keep your eye on the ball? And in the Gospel of Matthew, the ball is the question, who is Jesus? So today's passage is a very short story, a very familiar story of a miracle. And Anita just sang about it for us, a bunch of lunch. We all know this one. In fact, this story is in all four of the Gospels. Except for the resurrection, this is the only miracle story that is in all four of the Gospels. It's one of the most famous Bible stories that there ever was, right? This is the one we teach the children. All the children back there know this one. I call it five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. And you already know the whole thing. But keep your eye on the ball. What does this story reveal Jesus? Who does this story reveal Jesus to be? What does this story teach us about who Jesus is? How should we follow Jesus? Because we've read Matthew 14, 13 through 21. That's the question. Let's pray together and get at the answers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the PRC. Thank you for Marielle braving the uh, weather and joining us this morning. I pray for blessing on her as she shares lunch with us and then heads back home. I pray, Father, for blessing on the PRC in 2019. Thank you for all those clients they saw, all those people they talked to about the Lord, all those people they talked to about life. We pray, Father, that many would choose the path of life this year and help us, Lord, to be involved. And help us now, Lord, to see who Jesus is. Open our eyes, not just to the loaves, not just to the fishes, but to Jesus and what this story tells us about Him so that we know Him better and so that we will follow Him 
more strongly. We pray this in His precious name. Amen. Whenever I teach somebody how to study the Bible for themselves, one of the first things I always tell them is to get on a notebook and put a line down a page and mark out two columns. Have you ever heard me tell you to do this? A number of you. I've said, you you said, I want to study the Bible, Pastor Matt, for myself. And I'll say, all right, get out a notebook and write a line down the middle. Make two columns. And one of those columns, write down the heading, God or Jesus. And on the other heading, write down me or people. And then you read a passage of Scripture, however long it might be, and just write down what you see that passage teaches about God or Jesus in particular. What does this passage teach us about God? And then write down on the other column what that passage says about people, including yourself. It's very simple. And when you put those two things together, you start to see your application to life. This is especially true when you study the Gospels. What does this story tell me about Jesus? Yes, it's about five loaves and two fishes. It's about a hungry crowd. It's about some bewildered disciples. But it's ultimately about Jesus. Today I've got five points of things I see here in Matthew's Gospel that I think he's trying to reveal to us about Jesus. I came home yesterday at lunch or at supper and I said, it's really strange. This, this, I thought I was going to preach to the end of the chapter, but I'm just going to do verses 13 to 21. Just a little story. But I still have five points. That's because as you study it, as you stare at it, you see more and more about the Lord. Here are five things that Jesus regularly does. Not just in this case, but we see Him do it elsewhere. And they all affect us in significant ways. Here's the first one. He cares. Jesus cares. Let's look at the setting for this miracle. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now wait a second, what had happened? Do you remember? Well, it's not quite clear. I have always assumed that what had happened was his cousin, John the Baptist, had died. That's what just happened in verses 3 through 12, right? And I had always assumed here that Jesus here was grieving, and that's possible. But I I remember this week that verses 3 through 12 are a flashback to an earlier time when John had died. What was going on at this point in the story is that Herod Antipas had gotten wind of Jesus and was thinking that he was, in fact, John the Baptist back from the dead. So it's quite possible that Jesus is pulling back to regroup and to pray, and maybe move his ministry to a new location as a strategic withdrawal to not escalate things before it was his time. Jesus tries to get away by himself with his disciples, but it doesn't work. Look at verse 13 again. Look at the end of verse 13. Hearing of this, he withdrew, his withdrawal, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. They really want to be where he is. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he got really annoyed that they showed up when he wanted to be alone. No? That's not what it says. No, he got really irritated that these people were interrupting his plans. No? He, he didn't act like you or I would have done in the same situation? No, verse 14, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus cared. 
That word for compassion is the same one as back in chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Right? We said it was a gut feeling. Because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It hurt in his gut when he saw them. Jesus cared and it moved him into action. He healed their sick, which is amazing all by itself. I don't know about you, but I sure am encouraged to know that Jesus cares. Because this isn't an isolated incident with Jesus. It's just like him. And it's just like his father. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 116 says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. The Lord cares. As they say at the PRC, you matter. Not because you're so wonderful, but because God is so wonderful as to have compassion. You matter to him. Do you need to hear that today? I think a lot of people are hurting right now. People are overwhelmed. People are grieving. People are going through hard things and hard times. What are you going through? It's really encouraging to know that the Lord is not indifferent. You sometimes feel like the Lord might be irritated because you're bringing your problems to Him again. Like, oh, oh, here they go praying about that again. That's not how He is. He's so happy to hear from you. He's so happy for you to bring the problem because He has compassion. He cares. He sees our plight and is full of compassion. In this case, they were not just sick, they were growing hungry. This ministry, this healing everybody, took some time, and the day was getting long. Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So I guess it wasn't A bunch of lunch, it was more like a bunch of supper, but that doesn't rhyme. I don't know, maybe they didn't even have any lunch, so this is their lunch. The disciples were getting worried that they were going to have a massive crowd on their hands and no food. That's a recipe for disaster. How is it when you open the fridge at home and you say, there's nothing in here, right? Uh Uh-oh. And there's a a gang going to be there in a few minutes. They want Jesus to send the the crowds off to fend for themselves. But here's where Jesus really begins to surprise them. Look at verse 16. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples said, huh? It's there in the Greek. You just can't see it in the English. Huh? Here's number two. He tests. Jesus is challenging his disciples. He asks them to do something that they don't think they can do. Do you see that? I think it's kind of playful. You give them something to eat. Because he knows what he's got planned. I don't know if he expects them to know how to do that. Probably not. But he does expect them to trust him and turn to him for it, right? I mean, what have they seen Jesus do so far in the Gospel of Matthew? Healed the sick. He was just doing that. 
cleanse lepers, forgive sins, cast out demons, even raise people from the dead, all kinds of stuff. So if Jesus says, you can do this, what's the proper response? The proper response to say this test is, okay, Jesus, how do we do that? How, how are you going to do that? Because we can't do it without you, but okay. This is not an anomaly for Jesus either. This is how he acts. Jesus does this. He asks his followers to do things they can't do, but because he's in their lives, they can. We call it trust and obey. And that's the way to be happy in Jesus. What is Jesus asking you to do these days that's basically impossible? Or at least it feels that way. At least it's impossible without him. Is it evangelism? Getting bold and speaking up and telling people the good news? When I just said that, did you just say, yeah, I can't do that? You give them something to eat. How about forgiveness? Counting up someone's sins and offenses against you and then releasing them from that debt? Can you do that? Probably not on your own. But is Jesus asking you to? Or how about serving or giving or getting involved in the PRC? Stepping out of your comfort zone and helping abortion vulnerable women? You give them something to eat. They go, oh. I can't do that. You give him something to eat. And notice that in his tests, Jesus invites us to be a part of the big things that he's doing. He knows what he's going to do, and he could just do it on his own, but he involves them. Isn't that good news, that he involves us? He uses us. He puts us to work in his kingdom. When Jesus tests us, it's always for our good. Satan's tests are temptations. He wants us to fail. He wants us to fall. But when Jesus asks us to do the impossible, he asks us to do the impossible in the power that he provides. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to trust and obey. So the disciples scour the crowd, and this is all they can find. Verse 17, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, Matthew in his gospel doesn't tell us where they got them. We know from the other gospels that this was one boy's lunch. Five probably hand-sized loaves, probably you know biscuit size, like five biscuits, and a couple of little fish to chase it down with, right? A little bit of protein to go with that starch. Here they are in the wilderness. Oh, did you notice that? Verse 15 says they're in a remote place. They're basically stranded out in the desert. Anita's song brought that out. Does this setting remind you of anything? How Matthew is telling the story? I think we're supposed to be reminded by Matthew of Moses in the wilderness, right? All of Israel camped out there in the wilderness and they are hungry. And what did God do then? God, through Moses, fed them with what? Manna, right? Which means what is it, right? This bread from heaven. I think we're also supposed to think about Elisha back in 2 Kings chapter 4. Remember when we did the book of Kings just a couple years ago and we read about Elisha? He miraculously fed some hungry people out in the desert as well. 
But all that Jesus has to work with is five loaves and two fish. Verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He's he's acting as the host for a great meal, right? Okay, Dad, pray for the meal before we pass it out. And then he starts to pass it out. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all got fed. The food just kept coming and coming, multiplying and multiplying. Here's number three. He provides. Like Moses in the desert, or God through Moses, like Elisha in the Old Testament, he feeds them. He not only has compassion on them, but he provides what they need when they need it. Isn't it wonderful that our God is a providing God? Today is our annual reports meeting. Read Darla Kyler's report. It's page 12 in our annual report. She starts with this sentence, God provides. She's the treasurer, by the way. And she ends with this sentence. Uh, she, she tells us all about some of the amazing things God did with the finances at Lance Free Church this last year. And then she ends with this, the Lord has reminded me again and again this past year that he does indeed provide Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, the providing one. Amen? That's what was happening here with these five loaves and these two fish and Jesus. So you can have five loaves and two fish, and if you don't have Jesus, that's all you got is five loaves and two fish. But if you've got five loaves and two fish and Jesus, you've got a meal for everybody. Jesus was providing. Now, I think this calls for a response from you and me. One thing we ought to do because of his provision is to not murmur, right? I mean, that was the mistake of the Israelites, what they made back with the manna. They complained about the bread from heaven. And so often we get to complaining too, and worrying about whether or not the Lord would take care of us. Remember, the manna didn't last more than a day. And on the weekend, it had to last over the weekend. So on the Sabbath, they had to not go out and eat. And you could just, the worriers among them were like, well, what if the man is not there? What if there's not enough? What if it goes bad? It always goes bad the rest of the week. What if it goes bad? Relax. Don't worry. Don't get anxious. The Lord will provide. We need to trust in his provision. We need to thank him for his provision every day. How thankful are we? Doesn't it feel good to have a meal in your belly? Anybody getting hungry yet? If you aren't hungry yet, this sermon's going to make you get hungry. All this talk about bread and fish. Well, don't worry. There's a meal back there in the fellowship hall. Doesn't it feel good after you get to eat? Repletion, right? It's always good to thank the people who make the food. Thank you, hospitality team, and everyone else who brought something today. But do we thank the Lord? And I don't just mean a token prayer, but a heartfelt thanksgiving for all that he has given us. Because it's more than just provision here, isn't it? Jesus doesn't just provide, he satisfies. Look at verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
All right, I'm going to ask you an observation question now. How many of them ate and were satisfied? All of them, A-L-L. You know what that satisfied word means in the original Greek? It means they were stuffed. They had all that they wanted. It was that feeling after Thanksgiving turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. Hungry yet? They all, this is the feeling when you go out to the couch to take a, and you take a nap, right? You're trying to watch the football game at Thanksgiving, but you just can't stay awake because you've got that food coma. That's the kind of feeling they had because they were satisfied. Jesus didn't just provide here. It wasn't like, I'll just get them through. He went above and beyond and gave them satisfaction. Many scholars have thought that this miracle points to the kingdom. I think they're right. This is a picture of a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Just like the parables told us about the kingdom in the last chapter, the miracles in this chapter tell us about the kingdom as well. What is the kingdom like? It's a kingdom of satisfaction because of the king. This kingdom is a party. This kingdom is a banquet. This kingdom is a feast, and it's all satisfying. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't wind down. You ever been at a party that just went and went and went? It seemed like it was never going to end. That's a taste of what the kingdom is going to be like. It's a party. It's, it's a kingdom of abundance. I think that's why there's so many leftovers here. Got you hungry yet? Think about leftovers. Verse 20. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Yes, one for every one of the, the 12 tribes. One for every one of the disciples. Sure. But the point is that there's so much extra. Jesus makes, it's not just that, something, that Jesus makes something out of nothing, but he makes more than necessary because he's overflowing with grace and blessing. And that's what the kingdom is and what the kingdom is going to be like. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So totally satisfying. Now in the Gospel of John, the crowd makes the connection between Moses and Jesus. They get that he's like a new and perhaps even greater Moses. But in John, Jesus takes it a step further. He doesn't do it here in Matthew, but in John, he does. John, John tells us that Jesus says that he himself is not just like the Moses, but he's like the manna, right? You remember when he makes that move? He says that he is the new and greater manna, that he is the bread from heaven, that he is the bread of life. Jesus himself is the one who satisfies not just our bodies, but our souls. Remember when he said, I am the bread of life? It was after this miracle. Now, do you believe that? That Jesus is the bread of life? Have you come to trust in Jesus in such a way that he is the satisfaction of your soul. Because nothing else will satisfy. Everything else will disappoint. But Jesus will not disappoint. He will satisfy our souls forever. 
Not just our bodies, but our hearts. Last one, number five. He amazes. There's a reason, I think, why all four gospel writers included this miracle when they didn't include all the rest of the miracles, where they had different ones. But all of them have this one. It's because it's a stunning miracle. Nobody else could do this. Nobody else has ever done anything like it. It's a miracle that takes the Creator to do. He makes matter out of nothing. He takes five loaves and two fish, and he he keeps passing it and passing it and passing it until how many people are fed? Look at verse 21. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. We call this the feeding of the 5,000, but it was a lot more than that, friends. It was at least 10,000. It could have been 20,000 or more, right? Often at a, at a gathering, there are more women than men. Depends on what the gathering is. And then children. Count on two children per family? Five children per family? We don't know. This was a massive crowd. And friends, that's amazing. That's creational power. That's kingdom coming. And yet it's so quiet, isn't it? Matthew doesn't even tell us what it was like or how he did it. He just gives thanks. Thank you, Father. And he just starts passing it out. And the disciples pass it out until upwards to, I don't know, 30,000 people are fed. Who does that? Who is Jesus? He's amazing. 